0: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. I am Kurt Heelan, the managing editor of Pro Basketball Talk, with you to guide you through this as always. And joining me to talk all things Sacramento Kings today, plus get into a breakdown of the Western Conference playoffs where the Sacramento Kings like to believe they still are involved, uh, James Hamm from CSN Bay Area. James, thanks for joining us. What's going on, Kurt? How are you? I, I'm doing well. I hope you had a good holiday weekend and uh, had a little too much food to eat and uh, got to hang out with family.
0: Yeah, definitely. We had games on either side of the holiday and then the Kings are on this wild six-game road trip. Yeah, so we've had a, a little bit of a, a break, but not not too much.
1: Yeah, a wild six-game road trip that started with about the strangest game of the, of the season, the non-played game with the wet court in Philadelphia. Um, that was just a... It's a great video of Boogie out there mopping the floor, but that's just a strange experience to start the road trip.
0: Yeah, it's probably the strangest thing I've ever seen because we had information that that game was canceled about an hour before they told their their fans. Oh wow! They let that building fill up, and I was reporting that the game was canceled about thirty minutes. Uh, So we went on for our pregame show. I was in the Bay Area. Uh, with Doug Christie and Jim Cosmar, our our pre and post game team, and uh, we're sitting there watching this thing unfold. And I'm getting I got confirmation about I don't know 25 minutes into our our pregame show that the game was canceled, and Philly wouldn't tell their fans and wouldn't go and like make an announcement or put anything out, like leaving it out there that maybe this game would be played. And their fans kept showing up, and then their PA announcer came on, and I I tweet out, the PA announcer is about to announce that the game has been canceled. And, again, he comes on, and he doesn't cancel the game. He extends them another 15 minutes just in case they want to go get another beer or something. And then, sure enough, like an hour and a half in, we had the longest Pre-game show and <laughs> the history of pre-game shows because we had to stay on
1: the air just in case they changed their mind. It was totally bizarre. Yeah, it, it, it was like a Super Bowl pre-game at that point. Like it's just six hours of pre-game. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It and it was weird because you weren't alone. Uh, Keith Pompey from the Philadelphia Inquirer had pretty much done the same thing, and then clearly had got leaned on and recanted it, sort of like they're going to wait and check. But he'd been reporting the same thing like well in advance that it was going to be done. We kind of all expected it because. If something's causing condensation on the court, you can dry that up. But if there's something causing it, it's just not going away.
0: Yeah, it seems like, and we find out later that it was user error. So basically what happened was it started raining in Philadelphia, but the temperature didn't drop like it normally does. So normally Philadelphia is really cold this time of year. But the temperature bubbled between like 60 and 65 degrees with rain. And the the operator inside the stadium, they had had a hockey game the night before, and they laid the floor down the, with. I think they do a four a foam base, and then they lay the floor down. Which
1: is what? A, well, which is what? By the way, like most arenas that have both, do this, this is really common.
0: Yeah, yeah, this is very common. But what happened was they left the temperature inside the building. They forgot to turn the heater down, ah. so the heater pushed the condensation and the humidity from outside, and it created more uh, humidity inside, and it just laid down on the floor. And our guys were standing there on the floor saying, "It's so hot in here that we're sweating." I and mean, we can watch them on the telecast. We got Grant Napier and Jerry Reynolds. They're just—they're literally sweating it out. And it was—it came down to a user error. And if you turn on an air conditioner, it's just like when you turn on your your defroster in your car. If you hit the AC button, it instantly clears off all of the haze. And that's because it processes the air differently. An air conditioner does. They weren't able to click the air conditioner on soon enough, and then a condensation layer became more like, what I'm hearing is more like bacon grease oh. uh, on the court, and so it was it was so slippery. Our, our sideline reporter, Katie Christensen, who, she's like 6'3", and we're 5-inch heels, so like 6'8". Yeah, she's she tall. Almost,
1: yeah.
0: yeah, she's a tall girl. She almost slipped and bailed right on the court.
1: Huh, man, so... Well, let's let's move on to talking about the games when the Kings actually play. Uh, they they are they're seven and eleven on the season, which has them just about game and a half out of the playoffs, two games out of the playoff from our area uh, in the West. Are they in the position right now where they believe they can make a run at this? That they that they're still in the playoff mix in the West.
0: Oh, I fully think they are, and they also they look at. You know, you can circle the Philly game as a as a major disappointment because, of course, Philly's beat up right now. Embiid is still on a minutes limit, and and you thought you could come in here and have a a nice, you know, get your road trip off the right way. This would this would make their road trip two and one if they would have won against Philly, and to lose that game is brutal. Especially they're looking at pushing that game into a seven-game road trip in January where they already have two back-to-backs. I would make three back-to-backs on a road trip and an eight-game trip. So they're trying to avoid that. But uh, they they also, they've had three games on the second night of back-to-backs on the road where they've lost in overtime. And if you look at those three games, uh, you know, again, the Miami game should have never gone to overtime. There was the... The oddball call against Demarcus Cousins and, um, that fouled him out of the game with Hassan Whiteside. Uh, they had the ball with nine and a half seconds left against. Um, oh man, I'm trying to think who it was. The second, the second overtime game, and they lost. And then, of course, the other night they they shouldn't have even gone to overtime. They should have won that game in regulation as well. And uh, against Washington, so they feel like they're not that far away. If you take those three those three losses, and all of a sudden they're 10 and 8 than they are right in the middle of the playoff run, and I think they do believe that they've got an outside shot, and the West is waiting around like it did last year, so
1: you
0: just never know, you never know.
1: And we're going to get into that more uh, a little later in the podcast, because I want to kind of go through that, uh, kind of run through the West with you and and how you picture the playoffs shaking out and how, how I see it as well, but the thing is that you're right, once you get past... Look, I, we'll get through it, but there's some top teams that I think are likely to go. But then you get into the I don't knows, and there's a whole lot of I don't knows, and a, a whole lot of room for... A lot of teams think they have a shot at those final, final few spots in the West. When you look at the Kings right now, imagine what's frustrating Jaeger the most is that the defense is really not where he's going to want it, and not where it needs to be if this is going to be a playoff team. They're not consistent on that end.
0: Yeah, they're not consistent on that end, and that is, you know, that's where he really hangs his hat as a coach. But I think he also knows that he doesn't quite understand this team yet. He doesn't know the pieces that he has, and he's trying to institute his new defense, his new offense on the fly, you know, with just a training camp to work with. But, you know, again, the Kings have eight new players coming into this season. So there's, you know, he's mixing and matching every game, trying to find the right pieces. I really do believe that he he's being stubborn when it comes to his, he's starting Kostakoufis and DeMarcus Cousins next to each other. He went away from that, and the Kings all of a sudden look like they were a totally di- a different team, both offensively and defensively. But then he went right back to it. So I think there's some frustration all around and just some feeling out period here that they're trying to get through. Um, eventually, though, I think they have a decent group of players that can actually do some, some interesting things. I just think they'll, there will be an epiphany moment where he figures out his rotation, and once that moment happens, then I think we can start judging this team for what they might be and who they, might, who they are, um, but I, we haven't got to that point yet, which I think for a lot of people around the Kings is kind of a little infuriating because... You can see that there are some flaws to the to the lineup that they have on the court, but it's just the change isn't happening.
1: Yeah, it's it's not. And, and Kufos is an interesting one up front where just, I'm not as sold that that's the long-term answer, but I don't know that Willie Cauley-Stein is either, You know, you can't play him with Cousins really. They're both kind of fives. So it's just kind of a strange, like there isn't really, I don't know, maybe, you know, it's one of those things where from the outside you're like, why isn't Omri Caspi getting more run as a kind of a stretch four, but clearly Jaeger's not comfortable with him defensively or something?
0: Yeah, the Omri Caspi situation has been bizarre, and Omri sat, I think, seven games. Uh, two of those games, he was sick. He actually got sick in Miami and um, had had to be hospitalized overnight. And um, so, so those are some small things that, you know, I mean, Caspi's missed. But for the most part, he's been out of the rotation. He was told he was out of the rotation. And then, lo and behold, Jaeger's gone in three straight games. And so, it, he's, again, he's just searching for answers. And I think you're right. They have a lot of guys that can play a stretch four position. You know, they've got Rudy Gay, they've got Matt Barnes, they've got Omri Caspi, they've got Anthony Tolliver. All of these guys can play that stretch four. And Kufis makes a lot more sense with the second unit sort of running that rim-runner position that he's he's done throughout his career, you know, with George Carl and, and other and other stops that he's made. So it, it's just, again, it's finding that right blend. And as a coach, you're going to go with what you you feel comfortable with. And so far, he's relied heavily on Matt Barnes and he's relied heavily on Kosta Kufas because he's coached those guys before. But at some point, you've got to go, uh, you know, you've got to watch tape and let the eye test tell you. The advanced statistics tell you what's working and what doesn't, and we just haven't got to that point yet. Maybe the sample size is too small for him to make a, a judgment, but if you look at last year's sample size as well, there are plenty of things that, that were proven to work together, and one of those things is DeMarcus Cousins and goes to next to each other.
1: I think the other thing is that it's you're also going to need to judge it with Collison. I mean, you, you didn't have Collison for the first eight games because of the suspension, and that changes the entire dynamic. They're just a better team with Collison on the floor running the point. And so I think that there's still a... He's getting used to, the, to that comfort level, it seems.
0: Yeah, and, you know, the Collison situation is really strange because um, you know, he's it's not like the NFL where you can't be with the team, where you're exiled when, you know, Tom Brady couldn't even communicate with his teammates for the four weeks he was out. In the NBA, you're allowed to travel, you're allowed to practice, you're allowed to do all this, everything, but you have to... Be outside of the stadium within two hours of the game starting, and so Collison was with them. But once the ball dropped, there's just this. It's this again. This team is so new to each other that Collison, who is really, if anything you can say about Collison, he's very consistent. He has been completely erratic throughout the first. You know, I don't. Once he's been back, ten games since he's been back he's been all over the board. You know, one night he gets you 18, another night he'll get you 6, one night he gets you 21, one night he gets you 4, and that's totally counter to anything I've ever seen with him. He looks a little bit lost, and him and Ty Lawson both have struggled to sort of find their niche in, in Jaeger's system. I've asked both of them, have you watched lots of footage of Mike Connolly Jr., and Lawson said yes. I, I mean, Lawson and Carlson both said yes, but Carlson told me, Specifically, he's like, I have a newfound respect for for my Collin Jr. Like, what he does is crazy. The way he plays off of the bigs, the way that he gives up the ball and gets it back, the way that, you know, he just said, it's a whole other, like, level of basketball that I haven't seen that now I have to learn. And so they're trying to get comfortable in that system. But I think Collison is that he's the third scorer that this team needs really badly and they just haven't been able to get him going on a consistent
1: basis. Yeah, uh, look, if you talk to people around the league who are scouts and GMs, it, like you wonder why Mike Conley's got the largest contract in NBA history. That guy can flat out play. Like he's never made an All Star game. He's not flashy, but there isn't a GM in the league that doesn't love his game and in uh, the way he performs and the way he plays on both ends. By the way, a, a really good, def- one of the better defensive point guards in the league. A great floor general. Just. Just a really smart player. You wouldn't have guessed that he was going to be the best player coming off that Ohio State team.
0: <laughs> and If you put him and Collison together statistically, side by side, you would be shocked. They're almost identical yeah. statistically. Now, wins and losses a whole nother ballgame. But you know, all of the metrics they weigh out as very, very similar. And I'm not saying that that. Darren Collison is good as Mike Conley Jr. I'm just saying, statistically speaking, and we know, you know, uh, the figures don't always tell the whole story, but, yeah, they are very similar.
1: The one guy who's really stood out this season and really seems to be comfortable and playing well is Rudy Gay. Rudy Gay has put up some of the best numbers of, of recent years for him. Uh, he, look, nothing's really changed. He's still shooting a lot of mid-range. He's, he's, he, he is what, you know, creates mostly for himself, he is what he is, but he's doing it more efficiently and better than we've seen.
0: Yeah, I think the one thing about Rudy Gay is his three-point shot has been falling for him this year. He's shooting 40% from three, which is good. I think he's right around, I don't know, career 34 35%. So that's been one thing that's helped him. Um, I've seen the fire in him, and the fire in him that I see, I mean, he gets really frustrate, frustrated when they lose, just like Cousins. Um, he wants to win. And he he knows that he's kind of been penned as the bad guy in Sacramento for saying like, look, I'm opting out of my contract and I'm done at the end of the year. Uh, but that's all about wanting to win and wanting to be in a situation that feels like you're growing something. And he just doesn't feel that that he's a long term fit in Sacramento. Now, saying that he's come out as opposed to moping and being, you know, uh, what a lot of players do, he's come out with a this new aggressive approach that I personally believe like the first 10 games of the season were probably the best he's ever been in a Kings uniform. He's tapered off a little bit from that. He's had some some rough games against guys like Kawhi Leonard, um, but who doesn't? I didn't see him uh, as a player who who's auditioning for 30 teams, and the Kings are part of that, but he's certainly auditioning and showing that he still has a lot left in him and that he can be a... You know, quality second or third scorer. He can be a quality rebounding small forward. He can get you some steals. He stuffs the stat sheet this year like he hasn't for the Kings in a while. So definitely a, a nice turnaround, like his PER and all that stuff, is way higher than it has been. And even his usage rate has gone way back up, which is a little different. He He had seen his usage fall pretty steadily. Especially last year under George Karl, where he was kind of left out of the offense, yeah. so kind of a, a resurgence, rebirth for Rudy Gay.
1: All right, James, we've gone a little over fifteen minutes into this podcast without getting to the entire reason that every Celtics fan is listening and, and discussing some trade options. Obviously, the Kings have come up in a lot of trade talks, and Gay. We'll start with Gay, who's been at the top of the list for uh, you know because he says he's opting out, uh, or you know at the end of the year. There's an assumption that he's going to get moved, but I think this comes back to the playoff things that we're going to get to later. They, they I don't Unless they get something really nice back, it's going to be hard to make a playoff run and not have Gay as part of that, of that playing some, some four and some three for them.
0: I completely agree. I think that's the biggest problem that the Kings have is that this season with a new building, trying to build some excitement, and trying to, you know, have... You know, something special happened here where the fans really get treated to something that they haven't, I mean, they haven't made the playoffs in 10 years, and Rudy Gay, again, Dave Yeager knows what his game brings, and he's, he's kind of used Rudy and DeMar opposite of plenty of this, this season, um, where he always wants one of them on the floor, because he likes to go to isolation with those guys, which I mean, whether you love that or not is a whole other question, but reliant on Rudy Gay as their second score, and when you don't really have a third score, now you got a problem. Because how do you remove Rudy Gay? You're now you've built a team that that basically has two legs plugging along, and if you take one of those legs out, how bad will the effect be? Now maybe Omri Casspi and Matt Barnes and Garrett Temple and you know the litany of players that the Kings have that can play small forward. Maybe they step in and it's not such a big deal and you have more ball movement and stuff like that. I don't know. I mean, if the Kings honestly feel like they're going to make a push for the playoffs, and that's their thinking. I don't know whether they can do that or not. But if they honestly believe that, then you're going to have to have Rudy Gay on this roster and you're going to have to know that you're getting nothing in return for him this summer almost, almost assuredly. You're almost for sure going to lose him this summer I guess you hope that you, you have impressed Rudy enough with your your improvement that he says, okay, maybe maybe I won't opt out. Maybe I'll, I'll take that $14.4 million, or maybe I'll sign a new three-year deal with you. But I just don't know that that's going to be the case. And I, it, it puts the Kings in a really tough position because they're the ones to maybe their playoff and then to reconcile with what they are and what that means Pushing forward with Rudy Gay and don't make the playoffs and then lose Rudy Gay for nothing—that's really tough. I, I don't know how you how you figure that one out if you're bloody Devos, and he probably should have figured out before the season started the year with a completely different look and and sort of learned how to grow as a team without Rudy in the lineup.
1: Yeah, um, I think the the one guy who's most likely to get moved it might be Caspi. I, I just I that's a guy who doesn't seem to fit with what Jaeger wants to do for whatever reason and it's a guy you can get stuff back for they're actually, he's pretty well liked by, as a potential a, a guy, um, a number of teams think would be better in their system than just about anywhere he's been right now, he's never quite stood out anywhere, but I think that there's a lot of look, you're not getting a, an all-star back for him, but you can get some quality back for him because there are teams that like what he does as a potential stretch for.
0: think so too, and he as well. And yeah. last season he averaged almost twelve points a game. He he shot forty percent from three two years in a row. He really gets out on the break and, and sort of leads the team down the floor. So if you have a team that really to run or that runs something similar to what George Carl did the dribble drive motion building offense. Something in Houston, I think Casby's worth a a solid, you know 20 to 30 first-round pick at this point. He's a free agent at the end of the year, but he's under contract for only $3 bucks, and he comes with his bird rights when he is traded. And so you do have the ability to re-sign him if you're, you're a playoff team that's already near the cap. So he's actually got some plenty of upside. He's only 28 years old. He's a great person. Everyone loves him. It really comes down to you know, Yeager's struggling pieces that worked for George Karl's system. Uh, that maybe don't work for his and and so you've got to you've got to piece it together. You got to figure it out. And you know when you bring in guys like Ty Lawson, Aaron Olallo to go with a team that you know played under George Carl the last year and a half, it's just it's a difficult transition. And they need to find pieces that may or may not fit. You know, going full in, you know, sort of make adjustments on the fly. All
1: right, let's get to the question everybody wants to ask: Demarcus Cousins. I, everything I keep hearing is. You call them, you get shot down. They're not talking about it yet. Um, Vivek Ranadive isn't interested in moving him. What are you hearing?
0: You know, we're kind of hearing the same thing. The Kings are in a quandary with him as well. Uh, Cousins' issue is is huge for the Sacramento Kings. They just really, I, I think they want to keep Cousins. Really, he genuinely loves the city, and I've had plenty of calls with him. He's not super excited about the the process and the, the prospect of, of moving, or about you know figuring out for the agency and everything.
1: Yeah, it does make it difficult. I my guess is if it happens, it'll be closer to draft day. I just I got a feeling that the Kings are going to push be close enough, push through, try to make the postseason this year. But if it, if it's going to happen, if they're going to have to move, I, I could see it. If, if not draft day over the summer, I. Once you get into next season, it's almost too late. You're not, you know, with one year left on the deal for him, it's just going to be hard to get enough return. And there's plenty of teams around the league that would be happy to tell you that's already happening. But look, there aren't many DeMarcus Cousins. They're just guys this good. There are a handful in the league. And especially as, as, as traditional centers, somebody will cough up goods for him. Like, if you're going to move him, you'll get a good return. The problem for the Kings is... That return is going to be picks, some young players. It's it's going to be taking the step back to genuinely rebuilding again uh, around whatever whatever players or system you decide to do that with. That's the challenge. It's it's admitting if to trade cousins is to admit that you're going to miss another three years of the playoffs while you rebuild this thing.
0: Yeah, at least. And even though you drafted three first round picks, you don't know that any of them are really, you know, mm-hmm. top flight NBA players. And so you've got Bogdanovich coming in next season, uh, who should be a nice little piece. But if they're outside of the top 10, they lose to the Chicago Bulls. They, they lose their pick in 2019 uh, to the Philadelphia 76ers. Really, rebuilding is extremely difficult. They can't even trade a pick until 2021.
1: That is, so it's a long hold, and that might be that might be the reason they just they take the gamble with him that that I think you're going to see Larry Bird take with with Paul George and other teams are going to take, which is we're just going to hold it and see if we can see if we can keep him, see if we can find a way to win and and resign him and keep him happy. Uh, part of doing that would just be making the playoffs for the Kings, James. Let's take a quick look through the West at how the playoffs are shaking out. I think we can safely say, between the two of us, Golden State. The Spurs and the Clippers, they're in, right? We're good with that?
0: <clears throat> yeah, they've punched their ticket already. It's yeah. over.
1: Yeah. So, now you move into that second tier. I'm going to say this. I don't know if Utah's. I'm not saying Utah's in. I mean, this is a team that's had so many injury problems to start the season. No, you know, George Hill was in and out, didn't have Hayward for the start of the season. They're still 11 and 8. Their defense is still starting to really come around. They're playing a lot better. I just think that that's a team that gets better as the year goes on, and they're probably going to make it.
0: Um, I I couldn't agree. I I think Utah is a very good quality team. But again, (laughs) if they start to falter, does the Hayward rumors start to move? Is is there something that happens there? And we can keep saying that, oh, they've had injury issues to start the season, but let's be honest, the last three seasons, they've had injury issues when you employ a team filled with players that have injury issues you're often going to miss games due to injury
1: yeah uh you can also get into the next two teams which are right in that mix houston and oklahoma city They're playoff teams so long as james harden and russell westbrook can continue to play and stay healthy at the level they are those are not playoff teams if those guys aren't you know mvp candidates um, I'm not really. especially Westbrook, seems like he might be able to just anger himself through the season that way. They both probably make the playoffs, but again, they're just one stumble, one injury away from, from falling pretty severely, I think.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you. I think Houston is a little bit better uh, built to withstand a major injury. Uh, they, they definitely have you know some, some playoff pedigree from the last couple of seasons. And they've surrounded Harden with so many shooters. I really think that while I don't love that team, I think they haven't even come close to scratching the surface. I mean, Ryan Anderson hasn't had a great start at all. Mm. And, you know, I think that they're building something there. They they really can shoot the lights out. So I think they've got something that may be able to withstand something, which I wouldn't have thought coming into this year. And then if you look at uh, at Oklahoma City – uh, they're such a strangely designed team. It really is Westbrook or bust, and you just have to stand back and watch him go nuts. And they really haven't tried to involve Cantor. Uh, they haven't tried to develop, you know, that team, I-, I think, the right way. They're really, really heavily reliant on him. And if he fails, that whole thing is a house of cards. So if I'm choosing one of those two teams that I would pretty much think would make it, I would say Houston. Um that doesn't mean the thunder
1: aren't there as well. Yeah, yeah. Look, if look if Westbrook's healthy, they're playing better than average defense right now. You know, and if Westbrook continues to play healthy and close to this level, um, they're probably in. But then it really does get interesting. You've got Memphis, who has been playing well, but now we we discussed how important and how well Mike Conley is played. You know they're without him for six weeks. That's a kind of an injury prone team. They're already without Char- Chandler Parsons, James Annis, Brandon Brandon uh, Wright. They they've been injured up and down the board, and at some point that's going to catch up with them. And the real question is like, can they keep their head above water, and, and stay in the playoff race well enough until they get Conley back? I don't think
0: there's any way that Memphis can hold up. I just don't see it. I mean, realistically, you're going to have to rely on two 30-somethings in Gasol and Randolph to keep you afloat. I just don't, I don't think that they're, they're built to, to survive this. And Connolly is such a huge piece to what they're doing. I mean, when you're a team that thinks you're a playoff contender and you're bringing in guys like Kendall Marshall yep. and, and all these guys that they're bringing in for interviews to, like, plug the holes... I mean, that's what we saw from Memphis last year. But Dave Yeager had, you know, a, a, like a 15-game cushion to try to glide his team into the playoffs and somehow did, um, you know, on a sh- shoestring and, and like 14 D-League players. I just don't see it. I don't know how they – even this six to eight weeks here, when they're done with this six to eight weeks, it's like you might consider blowing it up at the deadline and just re- rebooting some of these older pieces and trying to, trying to get something for them. I don't I don't like their
1: chances at all. Wow. All right. So let's say Memphis falls and that's still gonna leave two to three playoff spots, depending on what happens with OKC and and Houston. Two to three playoff spots where you're gonna have Portland, the Lakers, Denver, Sacramento, and a suddenly resurgent New Orleans team kind of all in the mix. And and it's gonna be interesting to see, you know, I would tend to say I think Portland is going to be able to score their way into the playoffs like they have in the past. They're not getting out of the first round again unless they again just run into an injury riddled team. But I think they can probably score their way in. After that, I'm not sold that the Lakers are going to sustain this. I mean they look, they're a surprise, they're probably the biggest surprise in the league. Can they sustain a 500 team over the course of the season? I'm not sold. The King Denver has played pretty well. They're on the rise. We'll see what happens with uh, New Orleans, who's looked a lot better, obviously, since they got Drew Holiday back. And then you got Sacramento. This could go a lot of different ways.
0: Oh, I think it can go a lot of different ways. And I think what the Kings are looking at is, you really look at this group that you're bundled in with, they have a veteran team. And the other teams, really, they don't. Uh, You know, again, you talk about the Pelicans and their chances. I mean, Anthony Davis hasn't been able to stay healthy at all throughout his career. Drew Holiday, while he's back, and it's a, I mean, just an incredible story for him to be there. Yeah. Um, he, again, is a, is a player that has, you know, when he's unpacked out of the Christmas box, it says Fred Gile, you know, <laughs> and uh, the Lakers are smoke and mirrors. God bless Luke Walton. He's done an incredible job but that's smoke and mirrors, and so I don't see them there in the end, and to be honest with you, Portland... I think Portland had, everyone talks about how this great up and young, and young up and coming team. I think they absolutely destroyed their future in free agency with some of their signings. And I just looked at them like, what are you doing? Oh, and, you know, the Evan Turner signing, giving uh, Myers Leonard huge money. Uh, I love Alan Crabbe at like $18 million a year. That's crazy talk. And I think they've really hurt their long term future. They weren't young and up. Young, up-and-coming team that might be able to add a star-level player to go over to the top, and they squandered it by adding, you know, players that no one is going to trade for for the dollar amounts that they paid for them. And so, I think that's a team that, while they're going to be tough because they still have two great guards, they're hit and miss. It's a jump-shooting team with not a whole lot else. They can't score in the post uh, unless it's you know running at you and. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, they're probably going to sneak in, but you're right, they, are they an 8 seed, are they a 7 seed, are they a 9 seed or a 10 seed and miss the playoffs? And Denver, again, I think is just a little ways away. I like Michael Malone, I, you know, I love what he's trying to do there, but that team is still, it's oddly put together, and, you know, they're giving a way too much of a leash, and, and he's, on oh, many nights, he's completely killing that team.
1: Moutier can, can can win them games and cost them games, but I think his leash gets shorter the way Jamal Murray has been playing lately, who's been phenomenal um, as the seasons. He, he's the rookie really finding his groove and it's tr- almost inserting himself. You know, it's way too early to talk rookie of the year, but he's playing really well of late, and I think that his play allows them to shorten Moutier's leash a little, gives them a second ball handler, and they've got to figure out how to play them together. But I, I think that that's a team on the rise. Yeah, you know, Like you said, New Orleans is is hard to predict. I do, by the way, I will say this. I think Portland is going to be able to move some of those contracts. I, I, I think if if one team if I were gonna bet on one team making a trade deadline move even more than the than the Kings and Caspi, it would be Portland is gonna make a few moves, their roster is gonna change, and they need to get a rim protector in there. What you know, I know there was a rumor about New Orleans the well. they need to get somebody in there because if you're gonna play two undersized guards who don't defend terribly well in the backcourt, you've got to have somebody to get in there and clean it up. You know, somebody Houston sort of does this with Clint Capella, like, hey, just clean up our messes as best you can. Just do whatever. That's kind of it. It's been better since they got Beverly back, but they need somebody back there to protect that rim, and they just do not have it. They're they're getting crushed on, on guys just driving off the pick and roll and getting like really clean eight, ten foot jumpers and knocking them down, or getting to the rim all the way. Yeah,
0: that's it. It's tough, and you know, again, we can agree to disagree on whether they can move some of those pieces. Uh, if you're trading TJ McCollum you can get some great stuff. Oh yeah. Uh,
1: but and, they're not going to move and
0: him. you're breaking up the backcourt and I don't see that. They
1: they should they shouldn't break up the backcourt. That becomes the problem is that they've got to get the other pieces that fit around them and and complement them. You've got to get they need a better 3 and D guy to to solve some of the problems that the backcourt causes. They need, you know, like I said a rim protector. Um uh, you you they can't be bottom 5 in defense and and be sustainable this way. They can Maybe score their way into the eighth seed, but that's about it. And so, Portland's got some work to do. And we'll, we'll see. You know, the Lakers. I think are like you said. I think it's a year away. I think though, pretty soon you're going to see a whole lot of more Brandon Ingram and a whole lot less Luol Dang. Except to, then I say that, and they turned around and played really well uh, on on Wednesday night. So you know, or better at least. So, James, thanks for jumping in and talking Sacramento Kings with us.
0: Hey, hey great, to, great to come on, Kirk. Thanks for having me.
1: And thank you, everybody, for listening, either at home or at work or in your car or wherever you're doing it while you're working out. You can, of course, catch us on iTunes. Please go there. Subscribe to the Pro Basketball Talk podcast at NBC Sports. You can find us on Stitcher, the app. You can find us at Audioboom, where all the NBC Sports podcasts are. And, of course, you can find us at NBCSports.com. We'll be back next week with Dan Feldman to break down the Eastern Conference. And thank you, everybody at home, for listening. You can catch us on iTunes. Let's start that over again. Three, two, one. And thank you, everybody at home, for listening. You can, or at work. Three,
0: two, one. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh- Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Mick crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.